This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Oh, Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning. Brand new year here. Uh, Coach Hogg's locker room coming up first here in the Melton Law Studio in the undisclosed location in the Piney Woods, which are a little bit chilly this morning. It was warm yesterday. In fact, I've actually been in the pool again working out. But this morning, I don't think I'll take the plunge because it's a little nippy. But your manly men don't let things like that bother them. The springs around here in north central Florida are around 72 degrees. So a uh, manly man can get into water at least uh, down to 72 and uh, do his workout or her workout, even a manly woman. Well, maybe that's the wrong way to say it. A womanly, a womanly woman. Huh? One knows these days, I guess, these things are sometimes uh, fluid in a state of fluidity. Well, we're in the new world here uh, of night of 2022. And uh, let's hope everything goes well for all of us. And that, uh, hey, you know, we've got a big coming up in the fall uh, chance to change some things politically in the House. And that remains to be seen uh, as we build toward that. I'm sure that story will be one that is... Uh, Constantly kind of out there in the discussion uh, uh, parlors and all that business. Now, uh, Coach Hall's locker room today has um, got a little different twist on it because we've had some dramatic things happen in the NFL, which I want to give some background on. But uh, first of all, I want to say that I went to the uh, women's basketball game yesterday and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's um, unfortunate here in Gainesville that uh, UF women's basketball hasn't really fired up the way it should because we've got, I think, a darn good team and we got a darn good coach, I think, who's an interim. And uh, we played Georgia, that's ranked 13th in the nation, and quite frankly, could have won it. We lost by a couple of points uh, in a very um, intensely competed match, which was very fun to watch. Um, you know, it takes a while to build a program and takes continuity. Uh, that's one of the things that is so amazing about, of course, University of Alabama now, having had Saban uh, there for quite a while. They have stability and continuity. Uh, everybody understands the values of that program, and it is probably the most stable and consistently prepared program in the nation right now, having undergone uh, fewest uh, occasions of upheaval. Uh, it remains to be seen if Florida can do that. Uh, those of us who've been around for a while are holding our breath because we've been down this road before. We've been jilted at the, uh, uh, at the wedding uh, before. And, and now we've got another guy in here who's supposedly, and if he's doing it right, he'll be here 10 years from now. Uh, that I think Saban's been in Alabama 14. Um, you know, some of these guys, uh, uh, the great ones that have been around for a long time, uh, 
but you know, we've got some things that are changing it. And one of it is the transfer portal, which I want to get into in a little bit, but uh, uh, remains to be seen whether Florida can build any kind of stability in its uh, football program. You know, it's a shame that football in a sense gets so much attention because there's stability in the track, uh, there's stability in swimming. Uh, you know, there's a lot of programs here that are just very good footing. We have the men's uh, national champions in tennis, uh, very well coached, uh, very, very unusual for us to do that. Very difficult to do, and we did it for a while here. We were almost automatic or at least contention for the national uh, championship for women's tennis. And that's now problematic a little bit more than it used to be when Andy Brandy was here. So um, it takes a while to build these programs, and they can you can mess them up pretty easily. Um, so uh, right now we're taking a look at uh, uh, how we have tried in the past to build interest in women's basketball at UF, and I want to encourage everyone to attend. It's a very, very uh, good bargain. Uh, you can sit pretty much anywhere you want to, uh, right down close to the action, and uh, enjoy yourself. Now, having said that about women's basketball, I want to talk about what occurred while I was at the basketball game, so I didn't see it firsthand, and that was the meltdown, they're calling it, of and Antonio Brown, who is a receiver for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I want to go back into the midnight auto yard, though, here on the Ward Scott Files. You know, I have a midnight auto yard where I keep articles or interests or documents or things that uh, I, I find interesting but maybe can't use at the time. But uh, nevertheless, you know, if I have an occasion to use them later on down the road, I've got them. And, you know, I always liken it to the guy who comes along and says, have you got a hubcap for a Henry J? I'm surprised if any of you all out there know what a Henry J is. And I say, oh, yeah, I got a Henry J hubcap. And I go back to, oh, I don't know, the 50th row of my junkyard, auto salvage, and uh, go back there and grass growing up through the floorboard and this and that. And sure enough, there's a Henry J. And sure enough, there's a hubcap. So you just never know when you're going to need a hubcap for a Henry J or an Etzel, for that matter. Or even uh, uh, you might have occasion to have something for a Hudson. Um, these are vehicles that I remember. But um, the article I dug out of uh, my dusty um, auto yard is dated. Let's see. I was, I was a prophet. This is December 4th. Now, this is a month ago, uh, just about exactly a month ago. And it was a, an article uh, in the Wall Street Journal. And it was talking about, at that time, uh, one Antonio Brown. Um, and here is how Antonio Brown disappeared up until yesterday's game. Uh, Antonio Brown was um, 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 taken out of the lineup because of a COVID violation. And, and as I say, we haven't been able to have a show, oh golly, for the last couple of years without uh, mentioning COVID. So this is a different twist on COVID. And every time I think I've seen it all or heard all about COVID, why well, something else comes up. So I saved this back and um, squirreled it away, as we say in the South. And uh, this was an article that was written by Louis Rabnowski and Andrew Beaton 
in the December 4th, 5th weekend version of the Wall Street Journal about one Antonio Brown, who at that time had been accused um, by uh, making or procuring a fake COVID-19 vaccine card. Now, I thought that was interesting. We have, of course, Aaron Rodgers just flaunting his nose at the science of, of the COVID and kind of a mumbling out of both sides of his mouth that he had been uh, uh, not vaccinated, but um, immunized, if you will. And it turns out it was some sort of snake oil version of immunization that is not uh, san uh, sanctified by the powers that be as a legitimate way of being uh, immunized against, to the extent you can, against COVID-19 by the NFL. Now, the NFL has its own culture and its own rules, as you know, its own attorneys and owners and everything. And they can pretty much set up what they want to set up as restrictions and guidelines, because after all, it's about making money. And anything that jeopardizes making money is going to be uh, looked at rather carefully uh, by, the, by the NFL. And this COVID thing, of course, is one of those deals. So here we have a, a, a fake COVID-19 vaccine card, and that prompted the NFL to really start doing some thinking. Uh, how had he gotten this card? What he, had he been vaccinated or not? And it took them two weeks uh, to discover an answer, had their own NFL investigation, and, uh, and uh, it seemed that uh, Brown and two other players um, had see a passed uh, for as genuine vaccination cards with false information on them. Um, so the NFL decided then that the players were suspended three games apiece uh, for misrepresenting their vaccination status and violating the health protocols established by the league in agreement with the players' union. So now, harken back, uh, we're taking a look at this situation and putting it into context. So that's Antonio Brown and two other guys, but Antonio Brown is the feature of this because he is the big name. Uh, so the NFL was able to uh, determine uh, that despite a, a number of roadblocks that uh, other employers across the country are facing, uh, with these vaccine mandates, proliferation, and all that. Uh, this was a high-profile instance of a twist on this that nobody had seen in this kind of uh, arena anyway before, and that was forged cards. And um, actually, the NFL discovered it's quite difficult in the United States to determine whether someone's paper uh, vaccination record, someone's card or documentation is authentic, even for uh, something like the NFL, which has enormous funds available and have its own investigative arm and all that. Um, there are probably a few ways to tell right off the bat if it's false, and that would mean uh, obvious typos, uh, which would suggest something's wrong, or vaccination dates that don't add up, or handwritten entries that uh, purport to be several weeks apart, but clearly are written by the very same person 
which could mean that the uh, uh, both sides were filled out, both dates were filled out at the same time, consequently indicating a forgery. Um, so um, short of glaring inaccuracy and route without any other allegation that it's real, um, generally employers have no choice but to, fa to, to accept these cards at their face value. Uh, because the conclusive evidence uh, really isn't readily available. Now, these investigative reporters for the Wall Street Journal have, were watching this very carefully back then. Of course, they didn't have a crystal ball. They couldn't tell that yesterday was going to happen and Brown would have a meltdown. But when you look back down memory lane, you can see that there are several indications that things will not go well with this issue. Um, because the system, as uh, Noel Brewer, who is a professor of health at the University of North Carolina, observed, the whole vaccination card system, since it's so we don't have a central data bank for it, uh, is really one that runs on trust. Uh, there's no single database in the United States that tracks COVID-19 vaccination. And... Um, uh, so we don't know who's received, actually received, if we get these cards forged, who actually received the COVID-19 vaccine doses, um, particularly at mass vaccination sites. That makes it even more difficult. And um, there's no, uh, so there's no national database uh, that is tracking the doses delivered through pharmacies or uh, grocery stores. So the biggest issue for employers is they can't go do uh, any double checking uh, to find out if the car is real or not. And so in this case, the NFL uh, you know, went ahead and punished the players and, and, uh, and, they, you know, and any rights to appeal it were waived. And um, uh, the conclusion is rather ironic. This is the last sentence of, Mr. Radnowski and Mr. Baton's um, article about this in the, in the beginning of December, they say, Mr. Brown will be motivated, well-rested, and in the best shape of his life when he returns in week 16. Well, yesterday was, how lo and behold, week 16. So we'll show you how Mr. Brown behaved here. I think production has got that. It's about a minute long and we'll run it. And I didn't see it because I was at the women's basketball game, but I've since looked at this a couple of times. And the remarkable thing is that he really didn't incur any refer any, any violations by the refs because he wasn't, on, he didn't walk off the field and do this. He didn't do it while he was on the field. So apparently they just let him lose it and walk away. <clears throat>
All right, welcome back to Coach Hogg's Locker Room here in the Melvin Law Studio, 352-325-3938, or on the Facebook chat here. Um, you got to say you probably have seen a lot of things that uh, happen at football games and sporting events and fights and everything else, but that's really uh, one where a guy loses it publicly and the um, position that Tampa Bay Bucks have said uh, that he's gone, he's not coming back to our team. Um, Brady was actually kind of, hoping or consoling or sort of sympathetic with him. But, you know, they went ahead and pulled that game out and won it. And they had called up some other receivers or at least one, as I understand it, to fill the void left by Brown. So <clears throat> I've known a lot of guys who, in, in this sport particularly, who've been right on the edge. Uh, and this kid, Brown, as I understand it, comes from Liberty City in Miami. I don't think you can come from a much more problematic place as a youngin than maybe Liberty City in Miami. This is where the kid grew up, and uh, uh, this is kind of where he learned how to deal with the world, and obviously very, very talented. Uh, when I was coaching, I could tell you, I could drive around town and find on the street corner at least a couple of guys who were good enough that if they were to come out and accept coaching and teamwork and all that, couldn't make it to the NFL. Uh, but they were fast enough, they were talented enough, they were a good enough athlete, but they were into drugs or they dropped out of school or they didn't have any parental guidance. And it was just a sad waste of human being. You know, we could get them there if um, uh, we could just, you know, make some. And, and, you know, the universities fudge on this all the time. They call these guys student athletes, but they're not student athletes. I mean, they're just athletes. And then they fake the student part of it. You know, come up with everything from tutors to dummy classes to all you got to do is be role taken and you're C for being present and all it takes is that to stay eligible. And I got a whole list of horror stories for you. If you think there's any kind of student to the hyphenated student athlete, sometimes there is, sometimes there are real good guys who, who really are getting uh, a good bang for the buck and come here and get a good education. And at the same time, and, and, and the land grant university pays for it. But that's less and less, and it's going to be even less now. And I want to segue over to um, how much of it um, is going to be corrupted by the transfer portal, which we've talked about before. Um, you have seen all these coaches move around from these schools, okay? You had a really fine coach at, North, uh, at Notre, Dame, Notre Dame, and he went to LSU. Big, huge amounts. You know, LSU has got enormous amounts of money that they spend on football. Um, their facilities, that they're there, supposedly help attract these uh, recruits. Um, uh, these, re these recruits, the high-dollar recruits, are really in the driver's seat now, and they're even driving where the coaches go. I mean, if it's a, if it's a situation that requires a great coach to get the great recruit, They'll go get the great coach because what we've got now is um, we have got a, a situation where the players are not choosing the school. This is a myth that come to the University of Florida and you'll, you'll, um, you'll acquire a University of Florida uh, status and reputation and, you know, we're great and you'll be great and you'll hang around greatness and all this stuff. Uh, these uh, Athletes don't care about that now, not since the NCAA has legitimized the transfer portal. 
And if you're not familiar with what that means, it means that as an athlete, and you're my coach, I can just tell you, coach, you're not playing me, or I'm not going to be able to be appreciated here, so I'm going to put my name in the hopper. And the coaches all across the nation, it's like stocks. They look at the stocks every day. They look at the stock, in this case, is the player, and they'll go after that player. And that player will go where the best coach is because they're not caring. They don't care about the school. Um, get this in your day book now. This is the biggest radical change in college athletics. Nobody gives a tinker's damn about the school if you are a very talented jock. You care about yourself. And the way you care about yourself is if the very best coach cares about you. So now you've got a place where the kids are picking the coach, not the school. And uh, that that's just and they'll jump around as these coaches jump around. So it remains to be seen um, what this Napier is going to be able to bring uh, to the University of Florida uh, because you've got uh, big time guys at USC, LSU. Of course, you've got the stability and reputation of Saban. Now you've got this guy, Kirby Smart at Georgia. Uh, you've even got the University of Central Florida uh, breathing down the, uh, the throat of University of Florida because the coach there came from Auburn. And so he knows what he's doing. And don't think that a University of Central Florida can't show up in a big bowl the way Cincinnati did even though it was obvious that Cincinnati didn't have the longevity of, of the program that Alabama had and therefore lost, they nevertheless were there and Florida wasn't. So there's nothing keeping uh, the university from central Florida from finding, one, uh, finding itself in one of these bowls in the future. So um, the, uh, the, the, the strongest programs are going to be the ones that show the strongest stability with the uh, coaches that draw the greatest number of players. And those coaches are going to be seeking those players as well to tell them, you know, this, I'm going to use you. You're, uh, you know, you're going to be. And a great example is the quarterback that is now at Cincinnati Bengals, who I think is a fantastic quarterback, who was at Ohio State riding the pines and uh, transferred to LSU and took him to the national championship. And he is going to sooner or later take those Bengals to some big time uh, uh, dance also. So um, the, the result now is that uh, the teams are really exploiting the transfer portal. Uh, Michigan State had 20 transfers. Um, uh, Wake Forest had 22 transfers. I'm just going through some of the list. That was a, this was early in December. And, um, uh, you know, so we're, we're going to see how all this stacks up and uh, how this shakes out. So a couple of things here that attracted Coach Hogg and Coach Hogg's locker room <coughs> was the history on Antonio Brown, which is more than just uh, 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 not, not getting the due he needed at the game, uh, but that he had been out, you know, for quite a while as a result of trying to peddle a fake COVID card. Um, who to thunk it? I mean, it is just really almost is beyond uh, the pale of imagination, but everybody thinks of everything. And this kid came from Liberty City. So I, I imagine um, that behavior is um, 
probably one of the things that you don't learn in school, but you learn on the streets. Um, I know once upon a time, well, you know, the rage and uh, all of my generation was to fake the uh, uh, age so you could go in and drink the beer. And uh, man, we had some guys that were excellent at those fake cards. Man, were they good. And uh, <clears throat> it's not really a skill to be taken lightly. Don Pierce, the great uh, writer for uh, one uh, uh, for the uh, uh, you know the great the great story about uh, uh, Cool Hand Luke, was a forger in Europe during World War II. And boy, I'm telling you, you wanted to have him be able to forge your papers for you. Because if your paperwork was not in order, you didn't go anywhere. And he could make that paperwork look like it was definitely in order. That's one of the places he learned his craft, and that was to be a, um, a forger um, in making passports that you could not detect were not true. So um, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting that, um, you know, some, what's a crime for one is a skill for another. So, um, um, so, you know, we all know about these fake cards, but with the COVID thing, it's got a little different wrinkle to it. The other thing that's news locally that is very, doesn't surprise me at all is that, of course, University of Florida outright rejects a bid from GRU to supply the power for the University of Florida. You know, mama didn't raise no fool. Um, the University of Florida, uh, the Shands Teaching Hospital and all that business, doesn't need some iffy kind of inflationary um, half brain deal like GRU supplying the power to them. You know, GRU is sinking because of P. Green underhand who convinced these dummies like Warren Nielsen and all of them that they ought to go buy into this whole chicken little climate change, the, the, the sky is falling deal and God is to God's sake, no, who knows? burning trees in this city, in Tree City. And um, we had plenty of natural gas. We have plenty of coal. Uh, utilities were reasonable. Once upon a time, it was a very sound, uh, uh, when Kelly had it, uh, it was known as a Kelly power plant. The doggone thing, you know, uh, worked pretty darn well. But um, now it has become uh, useful to the political ideologues uh, who don't have any understanding of finance or uh, really what the economy will bear or anything like that. It's, uh, it's just really, uh, it's sad. So it's, it's just poetic justice, then in case you haven't realized it, uh, the University of Florida puts out bids for power to Duke and these other energy sources. And the University of Florida is not going to run its conglomeration on wind power. I got news for you. It's not going to run it on solar power. I got news for you. You know, if you think solar power is that reliable, get down to your gate and watch it open slowly if you have two or three days of, of gloomy skies. You know, the storage, the battery storage of all this power is still very prohibitive, very expensive and problematic. And all this hocus pocus you hear about these electric cars, you know, uh, that's not turning out to be that feasible. Um, you know, you've got to have, once again, something pumping the electricity. So um, I don't have any um, bad feelings for the University of Florida. You know, you know, GRU can go away and lick its own wounds. It's run by people who have no business running a utility. Um, 
and um, you know, really should have been snatched out of their cold dead hands a long time ago, but it wasn't. And uh, they begin again propagandize. Um, but banana pudding is out there. Harvey Ward, banana pudding's out there, uh, basically stoically saying, "Oh well, we're doing it right, and Florida's doing it wrong." University. Oh well, keep thinking that, brother. Um, the other thing that is is um, interesting and noteworthy locally, and uh, a lot of you would not know her because you're not probably you maybe don't read the bylines of the paper, which is is dying. And with the retirement of this woman, I say it's the canary in the mine shaft. She has been, we've talked about Cindy Swerko as being the longest serving reporter on the beat that I know of who was still around uh, the Gainesville sunset. The only other thing that remains there now are a couple of sports writers. And if it were not for sports, and if it were not for the government needing to advertise in public newspapers about their uh, ordinance changes and things like that, um, newspapers probably would, you know, go the way of the dinosaur. So you've got this situation where um, uh, it's, it's a, you know, with Cindy Swerko, she's a, she, we called her Birkenstock Swerko because she's, you know, liberal and she's a good, good lady. I've, she's written quite a bit about me and, and, uh, uh, but she's, she's, she is what she is. I mean, she's writing in a, in a liberal community and she's a liberal gal. Uh, but she was there for a long time and she's now retired. And that, that probably is going to be the end uh, of anybody who's going to be the reporter on the beat uh, around these parts because um, they just um, um, uh, don't have anything to, to keep them going. Um, um, the, the Internet world is, uh, is uh, getting the news out much more quickly. Uh, of course, there's pitfalls to that as well, but there are pitfalls to uh, um, the print copy, too, because Gateway, for example, owns all these papers. And we know that there are stories we give them and we can't get them to print them um, because, uh, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem to fit their menu. And so it, it is probably a, um, an indication. But in case you've never heard of Cindy Swerko, uh, she was around for a, a couple of decades as a writer, if I recall for the Gainesville Sunset. And uh, and I've been interviewed by her many a time and uh, found her to be very pleasant and, and um, very competent. She's got, a, she got an article, I think, in the paper today, or the, uh, uh, which I don't take, but it's, I think it's in the digital part I saw, um, you know, which is really writing about the, the left-wing issues of, uh, of the community. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of what they need to do. They're gonna sell paper, they think anyway, there's no conservative newspaper. Uh, about the only conservative voice in the community, I understand, is mine that you can actually listen to. And uh, then there, thank you, Michael. Um, there is, um, um, uh, you know, we've got the Electrical Chronicle, which is, uh, you know, a heroic effort by Lynn and, and Jennifer Cabrera to get the news out. But uh, uh, that's other than that, I don't believe you can get the local news. Uh, in depth anywhere. You get a little bit from Paige and, and, and David Snyder and those guys, good people, and some over at the other station. But it's a very small window of information uh, because of the limitations of the television world. So it's down to us. And we're, we, we appreciate, as again, I say, we appreciate all the uh, sponsors and donors because uh, 
Good morning, Fran. We're, we're just uh, uh, trying to keep you keep you up to date as much as possible. And I don't cover exclusively local stuff. Um, you know, as I say, I just covered kind of the national stuff, although I always try to put the local in a national context so you can see how it all goes together. Transfer portal was one today. Uh, phobic, uh, uh, phony COVID uh, cards is another. Uh, that can happen on the national stage or here locally. So uh, um, that's something that I wanted to present, of course. But Cindy Swerko's retirement, I think, probably indicates uh, the last of the Mohegans over there. Uh, if you go by the old Gainesville Sun building, it is cavernous. I mean, there is nothing in it. And it's, it's kind of strange. It's kind of eerie. Uh, we'll take a break here for a moment when, and thank our sponsors. Uh, we're always looking for new ones. We've got a new year coming up, and um, we keep, keep the stories coming for you. Um, and uh, we'll probably play a couple little ditties for you to give me a little bit more of a break. And, uh, and, uh, we'll, and when production signals, I'm, it's okay for me to come on back. Well, I'll, uh, I'll come on back. So hang on. <clears throat> this is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. Brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. I was up working on some project here with uh, the biomass. Why don't they just turn it into a brewery? Check this out, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. All right. Thank you very much for uh, allowing me a little breathing room there, production. And thank you for checking in. Um, um, I'm looking at some of the Facebook chat things here. And you can get me in the Melton Law Studio hotline at 352-325-3938. And we're talking about... Um, issues that are local, but the local doesn't exist in a, uh, in a, in a vacuum. Of course, there's a, um, an enveloping action that surrounds the action proper. And it's like, if you think of dropping a rock into a pond and the ripples going out, that's kind of what it's like. You drop the rock in and you find some election uh, questions here locally, which we found. And um, then you realize that those election questions are not uh, unique to the to the local world that they have been 
proliferated throughout the uh, whole national scene, and it's the Facebook funding for elections. Um, the the issue that the, the 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 way it fell through the cracks is last time is that there was no laws, and the Democrats realized this, the liberals realized this, uh, no laws against uh, uh, supplementing election expense, so-called election expense, with private funding. And Zuckerberg jumped in there and dumped enormous amounts of money. Uh, and we've got it. We got this document leaked to us, what it meant here. And we learned that you have to request the money. So that means that Kim Barton had to request the money, uh, got $700,000, of which she spent 500000 and the most of which went to the proliferation of absentee ballots which couldn't be accounted for. And whenever you hear people say, <clears throat> and this is the popular narrative, that uh, there was no hanky-panky in the election. Well, you know, they're really splitting hairs. And uh, what they're saying is that, well, you know, everybody assumed, and if you stop people on the street and do a poll and even bring it up uh, at, your, at your coffee shop, uh, how are elections funded? First of all, you'll probably get a blank stare, but if you get any kind of answer, uh, they'll probably say, well, uh, they're funded by, uh, you know, the state money or the federal money, right? And um, money is set aside. Well, no, they can also be funded by private. What? Private money? You mean private money can be spent on local elections and therefore tip the outcome of the election? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So when you see all these things about, oh, there's no evidence of voter fraud, um, <clears throat> technically speaking, there maybe you, you don't have it, but you have to ask yourself about private money. And so these Republican legislatures, because most of this money that was distributed by uh, Zuckerberg's Civic Center group went to Democrat uh, and very strategically located Democrat voting areas throughout the nation. Um, it was dispersed to roughly 2,500 counties in 47 states in the District of Columbia. And uh, the, the, the rationale that the Zuckerberg group, the founder of Facebook, Facebook of course, as you know, uh, it was $400 million, uh, was to ensure a safe, and reliable voting in the middle of the pandemic, a safe and reliable voting. <clears throat> so uh, there was no mechanism for oversight or accountability once the Zuckerbergs provided this uh, funding for safe and reliable voting. The foundation of for government accountability has filed a freedom of information request with more than 1,300 jurisdictions known to have received private election funding, including North Carolina, where the North Carolina governor has just rejected a legislative uh, uh, law recommendation to make accountable the election process and this Gilmer in, in North Carolina is going to veto it. Um, the, this is the Center for Tech and Civic Life. And um, 
how much money was spent and how it was received and how is, is rife with problems, filled with problems. We looked at the questionnaire that Kim Barton had to answer. Did she know what happened to the absentee ballots that were sent out with Zuckerberg money? And she said she never checked on it. <clears throat> now, technically, you can say, oh, well, you see, there wasn't any hanky panky. Well, really? Uh, in, in North Carolina, there were 33 counties uh, uh, that received a combined $7.5 million. And those counties that provided itemized reports, less than 20% was spent on anything to do with COVID. The, 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 the rest went to poll worker salaries, bonuses, voter information drives, um, and nearly three quarters of the funding went to jurisdictions that Biden won. Um, and this was done through, quote unquote, voter education. So uh, uh, voter education did not happen correspondingly in Republican counties. It only happened in Democratic counties. Huh? Huh? Now, in Missouri, in a liberal county known as Boone County, the Zuckerberg money paid for radio spots that featured rappers, okay, you ready for this, as part of a voter information drive. And in several of Wisconsin's largest cities, uh, which were tending Democratic, paid for get-out-the-vote efforts. Uh, that's what the money paid for. In Chester County, Pennsylvania, which was a key battleground outside Philadelphia, the money funded everything from mailers to registered voters to online voter registration drives. Pennsylvania spent less than 10% of its Zuckerberg money on COVID-related expenses. Huh? The rest of the money went to activities that could influence voters' behavior. Now, listen, I read this stuff all the time. And out in the press, the narrative is saying the illegal, uh, the uh, erroneous, I, I'm, I'm not even, I'm being gentle now, uh, lies that the Trump administration is telling. Well, okay, okay, put it out there, but here are the facts. <clears throat> so the investigations now showed that there were wide disparities in per capita funding between red and blue areas. In Pennsylvania, the Biden supporting counties received nearly $5 per registered voter compared with a little more than $1 in places that voted for Trump. Huh? Others, now, well, there's no voter, there's no voter hanky-panky. Other states saw big gaps too, and uh, this was the influence of private funding benefiting Democratic candidates. Um, there were other serious concerns that are beginning to be looked into about whether private funding influenced 11 states from Arizona, Florida to Ohio and Texas. And just today in the Gainesville sunset, which is an editorial not written locally, bet on it, is once again a criticism of the Republicans for trying to have election reform. And what they're talking about with election reform is making sure that private money is not used on public 
elections. On down the line, of course, is an investigation into actual people voting who shouldn't be voting. And what you'll see in these articles and these editorials is, well, that wasn't significant enough to influence the outcome of the election. They don't know. So uh, the, the uh, uh, Democratic uh, governors of the states are tending to veto anything if they have a Republican legislature or even a legislature that comes forth with some sensible revisions. They're tending to veto. Them. Um, so uh, th th this is a big deal. This election stuff is a big deal. And I want you to understand that you have to be very careful when you read something, whether or not it's believable or not. I'm just, we're just focusing on our local supervisor elections and we have the evidence, okay? And, we're, you know, and whether we actually ever get, because there's a huge attempt by the press and even, I think, probably even by law enforcement to say, okay, so you found it, but it's not consequential. It really doesn't change it. Let me tell you something. On Local Growth Management Act, which was changed by a couple hundred votes, it could have easily changed something. What they're talking about when they're talking about not changing anything is they're talking about the outcome of some nation, you know, and they're trying to aim it at Trump. Go down to your local stuff and see what happened. Um, so the opponents of these kinds of questionings are calling it fear-mongering. And uh, if you protest an election, according to these opponents of you protesting an election, uh, you're undermining the public's trust in the election process. You know, you gotta watch this stuff now because it, it, the whole battle for the minds and souls of the American people lie in who writes the narrative. And all I do every day here on this show is chip away at the standardized narrative. I'm just asking you to think about places in the narrative that are suspect. And I'm providing you with information to do that. And, and that's, I don't know where else you'll get it. I, I simply don't know where else you'll get it. And we're struggling to keep ourselves from being stomped on by these platforms. And, um, you know, we're not on the radio, which has its good and bad things. We should be really simulcast. We should be on the, the War Scott Files should be on the radio as well as the podcast. But, you know, this is this limited. Uh, I really believe that the conservatives need their own radio station. Otherwise, they're not going to get ever, ever get an alternative voice out. It's just not going to happen. <clears throat> so uh, you're not going to say you're not going to see. And this is all an analysis by uh um, uh, the president and CEO of State Government Affairs for the Foundation for Government Accountability, a man named Bragdon, he concludes that you're not going to see uh, any kind of relitigation of the last election. Um, uh, that, it, 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 they've got that too well tamped down. Uh, the, the, the courts don't want to touch it. Uh, the judges don't want to touch it. It led to this enormous frustration because right around the corner, is this January 6th narrative that they're trying to really create as exactly the example of what I'm talking about now. If you didn't get along with it, you need to go to jail. You know, if you didn't agree with the narrative that we are busily writing, never, the, never mind the fact that Fat Jerry and Pencil Neck Schiff, Bug Eyes, 
uh, and that crowd and Palsy Pelosi <clears throat> went about and and Hillary the liar and 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 Frankenstein the ghoul and all these guys uh, a strict struck struck all of them went around writing a false narrative for over four years and nobody's in the jug huh nobody's in the jug and they write that off they don't think the American public was smart enough to know that those were all lies and that they're frustrated about it, the American public, because they can't find any justice anywhere. And now the election process is all up in the air and they don't trust it because they know that private money was spent on public bureaucracies in ways that influence voters. And that is not disputable. That is not disputable. <clears throat> That's the way it is. So you put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, so that, that leads one to wonder whether there is ever going to be, I mean, I have a, I'm never wrong, by the way, here's my Mr. Right cup, huh? That leads one to wonder if there's ever going to be any kind of real challenge to the narrative. And, you know, you're going to hear me use the word narrative a lot more uh, as the show goes forward, because that's what is going to be uh, conformed to. That's there's going to be one story that they're going to try to get everyone to believe. They want you to conform to that narrative and they don't want you to uh, expose the media for any mistakes. They don't want you to expose American politics for any hypocrisy. They want conformity to a progressive political and media consensus, period. And that, that is something you can read about in many, many places. And here are the people and the publications that are doing their damnedest to get you to conform. I'm just going to mention a few. The Washington Post, Bloomberg, the Financial Times, the New York Times, the Atlantic all those people, along with the ABC world and the NBC world, are working in co in co in, in, as, as cohorts to reinforce what they now call the narrative of the story. OK, the narrative. And The Wall Street Journal has reviewed this just a couple of days ago, and they caught on to it. Um, so uh, the politicians and the press are feeding this narrative with leaks and stories that they want to pursue. The strict struck struck uh, scenario is a perfect example that was all deliberately leaked by the government to the press so that the government would be the bullhorn for the story. Do you understand what we're teaching today in, in Professor uh, Warthog's class? Do you understand what I'm teaching? I'm teaching you to understand how to read the narrative, okay? So disagreement is rare to non-existent and it's costly. If you disagree with this narrative, you know, we've been put on the short list a couple of times by Facebook and YouTube simply for even using the word in the title of the show. OK, so disagreement is and, and, and radio. The conventional guys won't touch it. I mean, they've got sponsors. They, I mean, they've. They tippy toe around it, but they're not they're not hard hitters. You know, they're not deep researchers. I mean, I'm sorry. I like the guys, but they're just not they're not they're not diggers. OK, so the disagreement 
with the narrative is really uh, non-existent. And, uh, you know, it's, it, here's a couple in this, this article. Uh, uh, of course, you, you can't say anything bad about Black Lives Matter. Uh, you can't say anything about uh, anything about the progressive narrative that's established about George Floyd. Um, you can't say anything really uh, about the Wuhan lab and whether or not that uh, where that originated. There's a there's a there's a there's a kind of narrative that's been uh, sanctioned by them. Um, there is uh, uh, the whole concept of lockdowns uh, uh, to stop the virus. Uh, at, at has been the narrative that's been pushed. Uh, I hear people in, in this state, you know, criticizing DeSantis, you know, for daring to question the narrative and, and, and take the position that we're not going to do lockdowns at the expense of the economy. And he's been besmirched and, and uh, ho- you know, labeled a, a crackpot and all that business. So uh, you got to watch the consensus right now about the narrative. Um, the, it's just, um, uh, you know, all the way back to the Steele dossier and the Russian collusion and all that stuff, that's all part of the narrative. And the reason I'm kind of going through this today, because it's going to, the drumbeat is going to increase up to Jan- January 6th, just a couple of days from now, when uh, they're going to really try to cram this narrative down your throat. That everybody and there were millions of people there in D.C. Not just not. I I, I bet you ninety nine percent of them never stepped foot in the Capitol. Okay, but they're being labeled all of them as Trump insurrectionists and all this kind of business. You've got to really watch that because that is what they're going to try to use the media and the progressive left outlets. Uh, magazines and papers to get you to believe. And every once in a while, something will break through and reveal it. Jussie Smollett, perhaps, uh, uh, vilifying the police. Uh, you know, it's becoming pretty evident that if you vilify the police and you uh, defund the cops and crime goes roaring through the society, goes way up. And, you know, once you, once you let these, these genies out of the bottle, it's hard to get them back in there. I'm telling you, uh, look at this local liberal bunch we've got running our GPD department. Uh, you've got guys plugging each other in broad daylight in apartment complexes around here and in grocery stores and things. And um, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Michael, we hope that the JC, uh, the January 6th narrative, and that's kind of what the show is about today. Uh, Michael is, is giving you all some ammunition to think about it. Um, I, if you, if you got a good brain, you know, right away, uh, that, uh, 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 it just doesn't add up the January 6th narrative. Um, I'm going to conclude a little bit. I think I got enough time to do this. Do you harken back? Do you, do you remember <clears throat> the good old days, uh, when Reagan told Gorbachev, uh, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I, I never thought I'd ever hear that in my lifetime. And uh, there's been a really good analysis of these days by David Satter, who is really writing about the need for dissidents, like this show. Perhaps some people see us as a dissident. 
but it, 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 what we're really talking about is somebody with some critical thinking skills who can address the progressive narrative and see it for what it's worth. Uh, <clears throat> Gorbachev uh, uh, and, and Reagan days, uh, what began to happen under Gorbachev because of Reagan, because of the pressure that Gorbachev, uh, Reagan put on Gorbachev. And I don't think we've got this type of leadership today. We haven't had it. Uh, we didn't have it with Obama. Uh, we dang sure don't have it with Sleepy Joe. Uh, but uh, Reagan put pressure on Gorbachev to uh, to uh, allow a dissident movement uh, to give a moral alternative to totalitarianism. <clears throat> uh, and that Gorbachev felt that pressure because of uh, Reagan's firm opposition to uh, any any attempt to not respond to. Uh, the pressure that uh, Reagan thought was proper. Uh, at that time, the Soviet Union was characterized by what they call monolithic censorship. Everything that, and we're pretty close to that in a lot of ways now, everything that was published, broadcast, or pronounced in a public forum was subject to Communist Party control and had to affirm the validity of the Marxism-Leninism and the heroic leadership of the party. Okay, just substitute Democrat Party for Communist Party and, and had to affirm not Marxism-Leninism, but the progressive narrative. <clears throat> Substitute in that sentence those words and see what you get. And how did the dissidents get around it? Well, in those days, they typed out banned literary and political works in four or five carbon copies and circulated them secretly. Today, we're trying to do it over shows like this. And it's a constant kind of struggle and tight rope because they do listen to us and they do watch us, okay? And they're 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 nervous about it. So, uh, uh, and we don't have <clears throat> we don't have a president that's supporting us. Uh, we had a president supporting us with the guy they're trying to vilify now, and of course, in the Gorbachev days, there was a president who supported those dissidents in. Uh, Soviet Union in the form of Reagan. So um, when the Soviets tried to get the West to back down, uh, Reagan was too strong. And uh, uh, they, they even the Soviets even tried a massive propaganda and uh, Reagan was too strong. Now, we don't have anybody right now in our corner uh, if we're going to criticize uh, the uh, uh, progressive narrative. Uh, Biden's not there. Trump was. And he's being vilified, as I say. This is my interpretation. This is my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. Uh, you can modify it. You can, uh, uh, you know, refute it, whatever. But this is class today. Um, the biggest thing that Reagan did was he announced the Strategic Defense Initiative and said, we'll intercept Soviet missiles in space. And that really, that really got, that really got to the Russians. Um, so... Now we've got a, a withdrawal from Afghanistan. It was botched. That wouldn't have happened with a Reagan. Um, and we've got a situation where we have got to get to this place where we have universal values that, uh, uh, can, tr that can actually uh, replace the, 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 you know, these issues that climate change and gender identity and all that stuff that we're bogged down in right now. They're much bigger deals. 
Well, that's my show for today. I hope you got a good thing out of class today. Uh, keep the cards and letters coming. Um, we hope you have a, uh, a new year coming up. It's a good one for you. Uh, and um, we'll try to keep you informed and interested on the Ward Scott Files. Um, Warthog Command Center out.